Many of you know that I, I love to spend time in the kitchen cooking various things. And uh, if you're a cook, or even if you like to buy food out, uh, you probably would agree with me that there are just certain things you plan on having leftovers. Um, if you make chili, uh, you make too much so that you can put it in the refrigerator and it's a little better that second or third night. Uh, certainly when Thanksgiving is around, uh, we make extra stuffing often because it's the leftover stuffing that's even better than at the beginning. My latest version of this is up the street at Schaller and Weber where, uh, to my mind, they have the best fried chicken around. Leave it to the Germans. And so I always buy much more than we need because it's even better as leftovers. Well, the Bible doesn't say exactly what sort of fish or what sort of bread was multiplied But one thing is for sure, Jesus planned on there being leftovers. There were leftovers in the Old Testament lesson as well. It seems like God is a God of leftovers. From the bounty and abundance, through the miracle of multiplication in our gospel story, all are fed. And scripture reinforces the point. From the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, the disciples filled twelve baskets. If you think about it, this story is not really all that unusual for the work of Jesus. Wherever he goes, whatever he does, it seems like things multiply At the wedding at Cana, Jesus turns water into wine and it flows freely. On the Sea of Galilee, he tells the disciples to throw their net in one more time. And suddenly, where there were no fish until then, fish are everywhere. And now on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus does the same thing. He, he enlarges, he expands, he transforms a little bit into a feast fit for everyone. In this gospel, it looks like Jesus does at least three things to make things more. First, he has a vision. He, he sees what's possible. Jesus imagines the people being fed. Last week, the church read from Mark's gospel, and in our reading, we skipped over Mark's version of the feeding of the thousands. Had we read that version, or Matthew, or Luke's version, for that matter, we would have seen a remarkable lack of vision on the part of the disciples. In those other gospels, the disciples look at the problem of hunger and they only see the problem. They only see the challenge. They only see the difficulty. What's more, they don't identify with the needs of the people. They see the hungry crowd as, as God's problem, not theirs. But today's version from John is very different. According to John, it's Jesus who first notices the people's need. And then he almost quizzes the disciples to test their vision. For Jesus, the vision is real, even though the means of achieving the vision might not yet be clear. And so the first step in his planning for leftovers is, is having the vision. 
not even knowing how that vision might be fulfilled. In the second step of multiplication, though, Jesus invites others into that vision. He, he makes it clear he needs some help. And so Jesus turns to Philip in the gospel. Where are we to buy bread? Philip responds like the disciples in those other gospels. Have no idea. Six months' wages would not buy enough. Jesus, I mean, Philip goes right to the problem of money. He's a realist. He knows what it is to earn a wage. He knows the market. Even though he may be good with numbers, he's slow to catch the vision of Jesus. Andrew is a little quicker. Andrew gets the vision and does his best to imitate Jesus. And so he looks around. What do we have to work with? And Andrew invites another in. It's Andrew who locates the boy with a few loaves and a few fish. And so sharing the vision of Christ, allowing it to ripple outward, Andrew sees possibility in the boy's offering. Like Jesus, Andrew doesn't know where it will go, where it will end, but he invites the boy to be a part of the solution and they all move forward. And so first there's that vision for people being fed, and then invitations go out to enlist others to help. But then in the third step to this process of making more, Jesus prays. It might seem like all the action just stops. There's a slowdown in the action, but really it's just the opposite. Because with Jesus, action is something in high gear. It's concentrated effort. It's energy condensed and channeled and and directed toward God. The great 19th century priest and holy man known for his simplicity and spirituality, St. John Vianney, used to say that private prayer is like straw that's scattered here and there. If you set fire to it, it makes a lot of little flames. But gather all these straws into a bundle and light them, then you get a mighty fire rising like a column into the sky. Public prayer is like that. This is what happens whenever Jesus prays. People notice because of the quality and the focus and the love in his prayer. The disciples see him and they add their prayers on. And then the other people see Jesus and the disciples praying. And so they add their prayers. And on and on it goes as priorities shift in prayer from our will, in the gospel's case, our hunger, our hope, our desire, to God's will. The world's hunger, the world's hope, the world's desire. In praying to God, Jesus is reminding himself and everyone else that the work they're about to do, the multiplication of bread and fish, is not really their work at all. It's God's work in which they are privileged to share. We know how the story ends. Everybody is fed and there are fragments left over. Sometimes this, these are tangible fragments like extra bread and fish for the disciples that they're able to put into baskets. But other times the leftovers in the holy work of God might be missed because of their subtlety. Whenever God goes about the work of multiplying, of making more, there might be increased faith left behind. There might be an expanded sense of family or community 
individuals who previously had no calling might find an entirely new vision. Look at Andrew and the boy. There might be a fragment of joy at simply having accomplished something in the presence of God, something larger and mightier, even than the combined efforts of those present. The writer Frederick Buechner calls this the miracle. When the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, a miracle is when one plus one equals a thousand. And that happens all the time with God. A few years ago, the Church of England commissioned a study that I think is still a good one, both for them and for us. It's called Faithful Cities. And this report celebrates the ministries of smaller churches and encourages us all to claim what it calls faithful capital. It's a little like social capital, but particular to communities of faith. Faithful capital is basically a spiritual leftover. Faithful capital is increased as communities of faith make decisive and positive difference in their neighborhoods through the values they promote, the service they inspire, and the resources they command. Holy leftovers become faithful capital through what one person has called a thousand tiny empowerments. Planning for leftovers is sometimes hard, and it goes against our nature. Certainly, the the current uh, political reality in our country seems to have little time for the common good. It's much more about my pocketbook and my savings and my IRA, and if the economy is helping me, then not worried about other people. That's counter to everything in the gospel. Our culture tells us to conserve and be careful, especially in seasons of scarcity. Play it safe, we're told. Don't anticipate, don't overextend. Expectations only lead to resentments, after all. On and on, the caution and the fear comes at us. But as people of faith, we're called to remember that caution Too much caution can lead to a kind of uh, mentality of maintenance. And when our chief motivation as a church is simply maintaining what we have, then we're on a, a fairly sad road that leads from a people in mission to being a people who are a museum. And museum is very similar to another word, mausoleum. We're called to be people of mission, people who look outward, who open our doors, open our windows, open our hearts. We're called to be people who plan on having leftovers. At Holy Trinity, we do pretty well with the the substantial and physical leftovers. We, We get leftover food from film shoots and meetings, and it often supplements our coffee hours and our meals. Um, We get donated leftovers from Dig-In Restaurant up on Lexington, and with that we have good meals for our shelter guests most nights of the week. 
We do what we can with leftover vegetables from the community-sustained agriculture farm um, deposits that come every week. We use them in our meals for the seniors and the neighbors when we can. We accept the donations we can use, though sometimes we can't. But we can do more, especially when we think about what it might mean for us to develop our faithful capital and extend it into the neighborhood and the world. Maintenance and mission need not be mutually exclusive. Uh, For most churches, they're part of being the people of God. We're blessed with these beautiful old buildings, but we can do much more than maintain. And so, yes, when a light bulb is out, we do our best to find a cheap replacement, but we shouldn't stop there. We should explore and ask and pray and look outward. Might someone give us a grant or match our own funding to to relamp this place in a more energy-efficient way and a way that would cause us to have a brighter, safer space? We do what we can to keep our permits up with our church kitchens, but might we dream a little more and get our act together financially with Holy Trinity Neighborhood Center's books and then go after larger funding and grants to get a proper kitchen, to do proper meals, to extend our capital even further. On April Fool's Day, we joked about uncovering our old swimming pool in the basement of the mission house. There used to be something like a bathtub there. But what if we really got creative? What if we asked for help? What if we asked for money? What if we prayed hard and put in showers down there for our homeless guests? It would cost a fortune in plumbing and redoing walls and that sort of thing. But if I get stuck there, that's getting stuck in the problem. We're called to be people of vision, people who turn outward and ask for help, people of prayer who allow God to extend faithful capital, to multiply it, to make it larger than we might ever imagine. In the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus took bread. He blessed it, he broke it, and he shared it. And we do the same. We do the same at this altar and the altar we use in the garden for the evening service. We we do the same at the tables in the mission house and the social hall, the, the tables where we gather in restaurants and in homes and apartments. Wherever we celebrate the feast, may the Holy Spirit enable us to move ever more deeply and forward in God's vision, to invite others to say our prayers and to always, always plan on having leftovers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.